So I, I think it was probably at that point that I started to think, oh God, like I've done an ag degree, but where do I, what do I do with this? Do I fit into the ag, what I think the agribusiness mold is? G'day and welcome to episode 60 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and today I'm excited to be sitting down with someone who I've had the chance to get to know over the last few years. I've also had the chance to sit alongside her for a project working in the northern cattle industry. I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, LAWD, the specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions. To find out more, you can head to www.lawd.com.au. Hannah Murray is currently the Business Development Officer for the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association. I feel like Han is one of those gems of our industry, who's very much in touch with the grassroots and is one to watch for the future, for sure. Her life seems like a constant adventure, and like many of our guests, her career has been anything but linear. From working on Northern Cattle Stations, a stint supporting school kids with their horses, a vet assistant, back into the cattle industry, across into the equine business with Landmark and now with the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association. Han is an incredible networker, a great asker of questions, which is a bit of a side joke. She stitched me up a couple of times on a panel. We might go on to have a laugh about that. Welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast, Han. Thanks, Ollie. What an honour to be here. It's a hell of a rap sheet. I'd actually just look through your kind of last nine roles in the last, what, three years on, uh, on LinkedIn? <laughs> had a few, had a few. <laughs> it's a bit uh, longer than that. I think I might need to get you to write my CV. That sounded great. Oh, it was basically straight off your LinkedIn, so that's all good. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to, um, yeah, firstly, you've been travelling uh, the last few weeks. You're saying before you've done a yeah, touch over, over 5,000 Ks in three weeks, including a stint in, in lockdown or isolation. Yeah. So, Whereabouts in the world are you and what's happening there? Right. So I'm back in Darwin now and that's where I'm based. Um, but I, yeah, as you've touched on, I work for the Cattlemen's Association here in the NT um, as, as a business development officer. Uh, and I do a lot of travel. My role's actually territory-wide. So I spend a lot of time in the car, um, which has been great because I love seeing a bit of country and I love meeting people and shaking hands and sitting down. I think that's where I do my best work and get um, the best engagement and, and results um, in terms of my role. So in the last few weeks, I had a fair old journey, um, went down to Catherine and visited some people in the Sturt Plateau out towards Borolula. had aims of going and drinking a few beers at Brunette Races, but they had nearly 60 mil out there, I think, on the black soil. So we uh, very gladly didn't go on that adventure. Um, then went down to Alice and, yeah, got uh, got sort of trapped down at our spelling yards down at Alice Springs for a few days. And we've been so spoiled in the Territory that uh, our lockdown for a few days was the end of the world for some of us, but... Obviously, we're just so removed from what's been happening in the rest of Australia, and I think it was a good wake-up call that we have been so lucky. So we had a yeah a few days of lockdown, and 
and pretty much business as usual now. So I jet set it off back up the Plenty Highway into Queensland up to Lake Nash and back over the Barclay. So I didn't get sick of driving till I probably hit the Stuart Highway and all the caravans, but there's a few up up in the <laughs> in the north. I want to know for someone you, you described yourself as you love meeting people, love networking. How did I think, yeah, the poor people in New South Wales have got a little while left in lockdown and Victoria spent a fair old chunk in it last year. So what were you doing to keep yourself somewhat sane during those five days? Uh, well, luckily, there was a few jobs I could do at the back of the spelling yards um, that didn't require me to interact with anyone or touch any shared services. So um, I did a bit of scrolling around in the backyards and um, helping feed cattle and that sort of thing that kept me busy. But um, to be honest, there was no shortage of work. We um, kept in contact with a lot of our members while this was all happening. Um, we do a lot of, I guess, liaising with um, other jurisdictions when we do have some border closures, just to ensure that we've got cattle and people moving as they need to, just to keep the wheels turning. And um, I was saying to you before we started recording that a lot of NT producers have got uh, interests in other states, um, as well as contractors and cattle carting, all that sort of thing. There's a lot of cross-border work that happens up here. And we had three boats, I think, going out of Darwin that when the lockdown was happening in Darwin. So, yeah, it, it takes a lot of, um, I guess, it's a bit like a duck on the water. There's a lot of paddling happening up underneath to make sure that everything ticks along as it should. But we were very lucky in that um, that it did go smoothly and breathed a sigh of relief when, when it did sort of uh, come back to normal this week, thank goodness. Yeah, a lot of moving parts out there for so many different people. I want to uh, ask yeah. you, so you're a northerner now, uh, a Darwin <laughs> yes. local, but, but it wasn't always that way. So what was the dream as, as a farm kid growing up in New South Wales on the family place? So I grew up near Corindai um, on a mixed farming place there with my parents and I've got a younger brother, George, um, who's back at home now. And I've always been a bit of a farm gal, I guess. Um, I'm absolutely 100% addicted to horses. Um, whether or not that's a good or bad thing, everyone else can decide that. <laughs> um, but love cattle, love animals, um, love the outdoors. Always been really lucky in that my parents were really supportive of involving us in whatever was going on at home. So, um that was, I guess, what led me when I went away to school and was thinking about what I wanted to do next. Um, I don't even know when it came up, but I had this dream of going to the Territory and I was obsessed with the idea. Uh, I just wanted to go. Like the thought of sitting on a horse for 12 hours, tailing cattle around was my dream. And then I went up and the reality was somewhat different but still loved it. Um, so I got a job with CPC and and went off to the Territory, uh, got a lift with someone, I think, shoved a few bags in and off we went. And, um, yeah, such an adventure. Uh, I worked for CPC. What was supposed to be a gap year then turned into a few, um, which is I'm a good example of someone that, that probably went up 
for what happens a lot is as people do come up for a year and then go back down and go to uni or go and do something else and and I probably started with that mindset but just loved it so much and was really lucky that I had a few people really invest some time into me when I when I showed that I was keen um and yeah spent a bit longer than than anticipated which I'm so glad I did I got a lot out of those few years working um across different properties and for different managers and with different teams and but I can't get enough so I've come for another lap you've mentioned there that you yeah it was a few years so you spent a couple of years jillarooing or as a ringer whichever way you you want to look at it and then you jumped into the the office side of the business but I want to go a little bit deeper you've said there was a few people that invested in you uh, mm. you don't have to go into details of who they are unless you want to but what what was it what were, like what were their actions and yeah what was it that ultimately that it meant for you to to actually have you stick around and, and stay up there when I were I started off at Newcastle Waters, which is a station between, I guess, sort of between Catherine and Tennant Creek, um, and it was yeah, it's a it's a big place, and we had three different camps or crews there. So altogether, I think there was probably like forty of us. Like it's a pretty big show, and there weren't. Um, yeah, it was a bit different. Like this is ten years ago, which is scary to think about, but. No, I know. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have admitted that. Um, but there weren't a heap of girls. There was a few of us, but there weren't heaps of there weren't heaps of chicks. So we worked with a lot of boys, and it was became pretty evident to me early on that you had to keep up the block with the blokes. They didn't care if you were a girl or a boy or where you came from. Everyone ex- was really expected to work as hard as anyone else. Um, so I really dug in and I was absolutely useless at the start. Um, I'm sure. And I, I'm sure a, a lot of head stockmen and, and managers and more experienced, um, guys in the camp would have learned a lot about patience that year. But yeah, I think if you're really enthusiastic, which I was, I was just really keen. I wanted to learn and I wanted to learn all the things that, um, traditionally the boys did like ride motorbikes and which I couldn't, I couldn't re- ride a two wheeled mot- motorbike. We didn't have those at home. So things like that. And, you know, the boy- boys were always the bike men. Um, so I wanted to learn how to ride a motorbike and do some of those, I guess, historically boy jobs. Um, and as soon as I started to show people that I was interested in really having a go, um I was just yeah really lucky that I guess they they did invest invest that time in just showing me how to do things and and investing a a bit of knowledge and sharing some knowledge with me um yeah which I was yeah I feel really lucky that I got that opportunity um and that's when I decided to go onto a different station in my second year just to be able to learn from from a different manager and a different head stockman and and do something a bit different and love that a smaller crew at Avern, which was really good fun but i think it's i think it's something that i hear a lot about the territories that people are trying to get away from the gap year employees and they yeah they've literally got a bit of a brand of the the gap the gappies the gap years 
Um, but I think it's a bit of a myth because I think if you treat someone like they're only going to be there for a year, um, then they will. Whereas I think I was, I think I told my parents that I was only going for a year, but I was always pretty open to, <laughs> <laughs> to, um, to staying longer. So yeah, that, I think that they've, um, they're worried that they've lost me to the territory for life, which could be true. So. Oh, look out. More to that story. <laughs> I want to jump. Yeah. On that point that you mentioned around trying to keep up with the boys is, is taking that mentality and the benefit of hindsight now, was it an empowering move to try and keep up with the blokes or was it stupidity? <laughs> I think back then I didn't have as much self-preservation. Um, I've definitely learned that. I was lucky enough to go bull catching the other day with some boys out at Malapanya Station and I can tell you now I have certainly developed self-preservation in since 10 years ago. <laughs> um, but at the time, like the thrill of, yeah, doing crazy stuff and well, not even crazy stuff, but just, yeah, just really fast-paced work really tough physical work um it's a it is addictive and especially when everyone when you've got a really good team that works together in that sort of environment um yeah it's pretty infectious I guess yeah definitely so it was yeah I didn't even think about it to be honest I think about it now but at the time uh, I was just keen and wanted to get around it so that's what I did and Yeah, it paid off for me and I loved it. Hey, it's Nick here, Sheep Farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, lovely. And uh, plenty of memories and, and skills that you can still use to this day. When it when it came to making the next move beyond, so you've done a couple of years, you then moved into the office, but that decision that around actually going and getting further education. So I'm not sure what you'd promised your parents initially, but you headed headed over to Armadale to UNE. What was was it an easy decision to make? Had the did the yeah did the clock and everything just kind of line up, and you're pretty happy to make that move, or did you kind of drag yourself? kicking and screaming, but no, education was the path you wanted to go down. I probably skipped a few steps in that when I left school, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. And uni, we were we were pr- pretty pressured, I guess, early on to start making a few decisions about what we wanted to study and further study and that sort of thing, career paths. And I just was never one of those people that always knew what I wanted to do. And it certainly wasn't um, with an ag focus in the start. This is where it gets a bit wild. I wanted to go to drama school when I was in high school. Really? (laughs) Yeah. 
I I think in year 11 or 12, I was like, I'm going to go to NIDA and be on Neighbours or something and be a film star. <laughs> and I loved my drama and I loved, um, yeah, some of those, like I, I'm not a math science brain. I'm a English humanities drama gal. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I actually attempted a creative writing degree when I was working at Carlton Hill Station. It didn't go well. And that was money that I'll never see back. But I had a go and I thought that that was something I wanted to do or journalism or something along those sort of lines. Um, And I think the more and the longer that I worked in ag, the more I realised that that was going to be more help if I wanted um, to sort of further myself working in the industry. So eventually I sort of dragged myself back to Armidale to do an agribusiness degree at UNE Um, and I loved it. I went as what I would classify as an kind of old person to uni. Um, What, 22? 23 23 or something. (laughs) Um, And was lucky enough. So all of my mates, I guess, were were sort of at the end of their uni career at college. And so I got a full-time job at NEGS in the equestrian centre there, which I loved. Um, that got me my little horsey fix and was um, good sort of flexible work to work around uni. And so I did a couple of years at Armadale and, and really enjoyed that. I majored in marketing and management. Taking a bit that. to think well. about. <laughs> you can make anything up here. Really. It really sank in, Ollie. It really sank in. Um, I also learned to drink cheap red wine and stay warm in the cold Armadale. But no, it was a great couple of years. And in my last year, I think a lot of my friends had sort of left Armadale. I was getting itchy feet. I was probably ready um, for a new for a new role or a new job or something a bit different. And we knew a couple of boys that had been on exchange to the States uh, the year before. And so I looked into that and it was something that wasn't, I guess, at the time, well publicised at uni, but there were a lot of opportunities to study abroad. Um, and my inner cowgirl was like, immediately, uh, going to college in America would be so cool. So looked into that, sold a horse. Um, there were some other little pockets of money from government grants and that sort of thing. Like there was a lot of support out there um, to help you do it. And went over there with my friend Jock, who was also my neighbour at home, um, and he was studying something in I think his master's in crop science or something like that. So anyway, we went over there together uh, in 2016 in hit winter on New Year's Eve in Indiana and we went to Purdue for a semester, which was amazing and something I'd recommend to anyone that goes and studies at uni regardless of what they study. Um, Really loved that and did, yeah, did some ag subjects over there and, um, got to do a little stint at Cattle Facts in Colorado, um, work experience and lots of travel. And so did that and then finally finished it off at home. What, um, what are, who are Cattle Facts? What do they do? Cattle Facts do a lot of, um, I guess, going through marketing and data for producers um, and they share a lot of information back to producers. So that was really cool. And, that's also probably when I realised that 
figures and numbers and I guess the data end of ag was possibly not what I was best at. <laughs> um, Good learning. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it was probably at that point that I started to think, oh, God, like I've done an ag degree, but where do I, what do I do with this? Do I fit into the ag, what I think the agribusiness mould is in terms of, you know, like you, they, they talk to you about the job options at the end of an agribusiness degree and they're like, all right, you can go work for a bank or you can go more into the finance end. And I was like, oh, I've, gone, I've done the wrong degree. Like this is not what I'm good at. Um, anyway, I sort of went with it and ended up coming back and doing some casual work for what was then Landmark at the classic camp draft sale, which they have every February in Tamworth. And that sort of led me into a full-time role there in the equine sales end um, of Landmark slash Nutrient. And I did that for three years and absolutely loved it. I had a really great team. I had an amazing boss. Um, I met a lot of people and that end of the business not what we would probably usually think of as ag, ag in a sense, but all of our equine clients played in other ag spaces and a lot of that business fed into other parts of, of the landmark business model and it was really interesting work um, and something that I really enjoyed in terms of engaging and interacting with clients and learning about the sales end and and yeah, picked up a lot of new skills there, which was great. Around the learnings in America, and I think going internationally, it's amazing what it can do for perspective. In terms of your perspective of how, I suppose, the, the general American population that you were involved with, and it might have been very ag heavy, so this will completely distort the answer. What were some of the learnings about how American people viewed agriculture in their country? Yeah, that was interesting. We had this funny saying in Indiana that they crop till they drop. They are some of the best people in terms of productivity and utilising what they've got. They will literally crop within 30 centimetres of a highway. There is every bit of ag land that they can access is utilised. And I thought, wow, we are so spoilt here because we have, I guess, what they would regard as massive properties here. Um, whereas some of those guys over there, like a thousand acres was huge. They might only have 500 acres. And I know there's probably a longer argument as to why that works over there. And, and but, uh, you know, regardless of that, I was very impressed. Like when you saw people building houses, um, under mounds which pivots right over like that just blew my mind um, and the value that the general population there had for agriculture they've got a huge wrap of support um, for their farming community and yeah that was really evident as well which was interesting um, I'm sure it's different in their major cities but I was yeah, I was pretty blown away by just how much support is out there 
for what their farmers are doing. Mm. Yeah, interesting. And and so you've come, you came back to Australia, you've landed on your feet a little bit with the nutrient role and a few years has gone past. You've then, has there been itchy feet, was it an opportunity too good to refuse? Obviously you're now up, up north. So what was it that, yeah, was the catalyst for change from leaving the confines of Tamworth and heading back up to... Uh, yeah, the Northern Territory. It's It was a really tricky one in that I really loved my job um, at Nutrien and I think I was, the time came where I probably had to challenge myself um, and this opportunity presented itself back in the Territory, I think there was always something in the back of my mind that I'd always wanted to go back north. I really love the people up here and I love the strength of industry up here and there's a lot of opportunity in the Territory. Um, so when this came up, I, yeah, I had to have a really hard think in that do you stay within your comfort zone where, you, where you're confident and um, you feel like you've got a grip on things or do you sort of jump off a bit of a cliff and hope that you can swim when you get to the bottom and find out when you when you do it I guess and and I thought I really thought hard about it and I knew that if I didn't take this opportunity that I would really regret it and that's what I think did it for me in the end um if I didn't if I didn't take this while it presented itself I was I would hate myself down the track so I did, and I'm so glad because I've loved every minute of it. Um, I'm so lucky in my role in terms of, um, I guess, the broad scale of things I get to do within this role, and that's really reflective of, I guess, the industry in the NT. There's so much variety up here, um, and there's, yeah, that's been a big learning for me because I think working on stations you know, in the, mostly in the stock camp, we had a very narrow view of what the industry was. And I've learned so much just, yeah, in the last couple of years here. And the exposure to people. And like mm. Northern Australia is fascinating just in terms of the breadth of industry up there. But it wasn't smooth sailing. You you had, which you mentioned earlier yeah. before, when we started, a bit of an identity crisis, which some people would call imposter syndrome. You, you're walking to yes. a job that you thought you were, incapable of or completely out of your depth yeah how did you deal with it it? i just don't know the trendy lingo but imposter syndrome (laughs) 100 um i think when i came up um i i knew a couple of the um very talented very smart blokes that have that have held this role previously and i thought to myself oh golly because um they've been really skilled in in that sort of data end or agronomy or um, basically anything that I am not as strong in. <laughs> and so I started to think, oh, I don't know if I, what I can bring to this, to this role. And then I realised just how much extensions involved. Um, and that's where I thought, I think I have some skills that could be really valuable here. Um, I think probably some of my best skills are the interpersonal ones. And there's a big need for that in our industry. And particularly up here when you've got people living in isolation, I'm 
a bit old school in my beliefs. And it's been interesting when COVID happened. And I'll be interesting to see what you think about this, Ollie, because we have done a lot of Zooming in the last year. I'm Zoomed out personally. Uh, and I think that there's, I know that this is the new age now. This is how we're going to get a lot of work done. But I think at the end of the day, there's certain results you can really only get out of sitting down with someone, going for a drive, seeing the country, seeing what they're up to in person um, that you can't get over, across the screen or down the phone. Um, and I think people really value that as well. Um, they get to know they get to know me and and what I can help them with and and it delivers results, I guess, for everyone. So it's been a positive experience, but it's certainly been a, one that I had to build my confidence up in um, as I went. Yeah. Definitely. You got me thinking because you mentioned the word result there a few times and I think absolutely on Zoom, yeah, we can deliver results and we're seeing that, yes, we can keep things running as they were seemingly, yeah, undeterred as such. But in terms of impacts, are we actually, is anyone making an impact? Is anyone really having real conversations that are leading to something better out of it? And I don't know, like I, the bit that I've questioned the whole time um, is just this return to normal, which we have this fascination with. And it's like, we've spent, last year the world stopped. This year it seems like the world's kept going, but Australia's still stopped. And like, how the hell can we even ever even think that we want to go back to what normal was or what happened before and not actually talk about what led to it, which at the crux of my very basic understanding of COVID is it's a food system issue and it's come from overpopulization into wild areas. It's wrong types of food or food contamination, which has then created a multitude of problems but I think we've glossed over the real issue and I don't actually reckon when it comes to impact, I think, yeah, we can, we've kept businesses open kind of, but far out. I don't know if anyone's actually sat down and asked the questions of how the hell did we end up here? Yeah. And where to, and, and that's where it's hard because we are, we are so lucky, I guess, in, in the NT and Northern Australia in that we haven't nearly had the experience that you guys have. Mm. Um, and I guess that's what's lucky about living in a really, you know, small populated, isolated area of Australia. Because someone said to me the other day that there's le- there's more people in Geelong than there are in the Territory. So there's not many of us. It's a small place. But, you know, how would, uh, has, that, has that built us to better cope with what the new normal is, I guess? we probably do have this, the tools and the skills to be able to get us there a bit more easily maybe, but it will be interesting going forward. And, and yeah, it's been, it's been, um, it's been interesting, especially with live export up here too. Um, that was obviously one that threw a few COVID curveballs uh, last year and it just became the, you know, the importance of keeping your supply chains running can never be underestimated, I guess, can it? Yeah. Well, I was just chatting to a mate before who's a builder in Sydney and I was like, oh, I was like, tell me about this timber shortage. I was like, is it actually affecting you? And he's like, mate, like you don't even know. He's yeah. like, we, we can still get by now, but it's like, so the timber 
like that they, they don't can't get access to it for however long so people have gone to steel so now there's shortages in steel and it's like just this leapfrogging effect that it goes from one one to the other do you think in the long term the politicians in australia will really start looking back into long term projects now for australia as we've you know there's been all this talk about the importance of being self sufficient but do you think it's actually going to deliver into Real projects? I don't know. Like globalisation is such a good thing in aspects. It's how, yeah, you create your competitive advantages off what you can do better than other people at a lower cost of production to get a higher return so you can buy other things. I don't know. It's kind of like economics 101. So I don't know why we'd go. Again, uh, not my strong suit. (laughs) Neither. And I'm showing it now. But I, I want to know, so you, you've had multiple different roles in different areas of Australia. Have you got a consistent theme that has gone through that you kind of can put your finger on and be like, that's what I bring to the table and this is my strong point? Yeah. And it wasn't until one of my previous bosses pointed this out to me because like a lot of people, I'm hopeless at pinpointing what I'm good at and I'm really good at pinpointing what I'm not good at Mm -hmm. and we were having a just a general conversation one day and he mentioned something about the fact that he thought one of my best skills was being able to interact with a range of different people and altering the way that I approach different kinds of people Um, and that's really helped me because we talked earlier about how diverse ag is in terms of the people that are involved in the industry and you do need to tailor how you deal with all these different people to get the best engagement and and the best results out of out of what you want out of your interaction and so that's been yeah I'm just lucky I guess in that working in different roles in different parts of I guess the ag industry has taught me how to deal with a lot of, of different people and how they tick and what they want out of different things and how they approach situations. And I think that's that's going to be something that will be of value to me throughout my life, I hope, um, and something that I can always be better at and and something that I'm passionate about in terms of interpersonal skills. And um, I know that we talked a lot, especially around Beef Week, about soft skills and the importance of that and how it's probably been neglected, I guess, previously in ag and how important bring making soft skills cool again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to be said for that, for that sort of work in ag. And that's perhaps what I'm starting to realise is I, th- I think for a long time I was trying to fit myself into this ag mould of what someone in ag should be good at and should know about and what sort of skills you should have. There's no such thing. There's no formula. Mm. I want to ask you, I've got, I was going to say, I've got three questions left, probably blow out. First question, you've just mentioned what, um, what skills and what this person of agriculture should be. So do you, in your own definition, what do you see as a, who a human of agriculture is? Ooh. Some my market research here. Yeah. 
a human of agriculture. I think that it's someone, I think you've got to have the passion. I think you have to have the appreciation. And I think you have to have the keenness to succeed and develop. But that can be whatever your interpretation of that is. Success is different to everyone. And in terms of an agricultural business model, that's what I've really learned, I think, lately, is that development as a word looks different to everyone. Depends where you are, depends how your business is structured. It depends what your vision for the future is like. Depends what your markets are. Um, there's so many factors that go into it. So a human of ag has to be flexible and, and has to be diverse, I think. And that's what makes our industry so interesting because there's so many other industries out there, I think, that are so much more siloed and narrow. But I think our strength comes from our variety and our diversity. I, um, I want to ask before I ask you if you've got any questions for me, but you're just mentioning one of your strengths is around working out what makes people tick. And so mm-hmm. around your why as such, have you worked out what your why is? And yeah, really, I suppose what defines you and, and, and makes you tick? I think what makes me tick is finding out how other people tick and trying to help them achieve results. I am probably by nature a little bit of a people pleaser in terms of I like to help people get where they want to go and I like people to achieve success and help them achieve that. Um, That's something that really fulfills me, I guess, in any of the roles that I've had. So anything that I can do um, to help people develop their skills um, and find solutions to problems, that's what I really take um, from this role, I think, and, and what I probably would want to take from any future role that I have. That's the part of the industry that I enjoy and a lot of that's listening to people and hearing out what their challenges are um, and trying to do some of that problem solving that's involved in finding the solutions, I guess. Yeah. Oh, very cool. In terms of uh, um, one last question, I ask everyone, so if you're an avid <laughs> listener, that's fine. But so one question that I've asked, I'm pretty sure it's nearly everyone uh, that's come on. So yeah, look out. Now th- this question, it's around, you get the chance to talk to some year 10 students. I chose mm-hmm. year 10 because I think they can still make decisions around subjects that are not so important, but year 10 is a pretty formative year in terms of how your outlook on life of what the next few years. And basically I think it's kind of that turning point where the dial starts to shift, where you can perceive society's expectations of you. You get the chance to talk to a bunch of year 10 students tomorrow morning. What's going to be your message to them? It can be life advice. It, can just be, yeah, opportunities of why they should pursue agriculture, what would you tell them? I would love, and I've thought about this, I would love to go back to my high school and talk to them about my experience in Northern Australia um, and doing something that 
I guess at our school was pretty wildly out there um, in terms of what the probably the rest of the girls in my year did after school. And it doesn't have to be go and work on a station or go Jillarooing or go somewhere really remote. It's just do something that is you find interesting but may not be, don't follow the crowd. It may not be what everyone else is doing, but don't be scared of that. Um, you just find your own path, which is easier said than done a lot of the time. But I think um, something that girls also are not great at, and you might dispute here, Ollie, but boys are probably, I always was taught that boys were better at, um, you know, taking opportunities and figuring out how to do things later. Yeah. And girls are probably not by nature as good as that, at just backing themselves and taking the plunge and just figuring it out along the way. Um, but I wish that I had done a bit more of that a bit earlier probably. Uh, and getting involved in ag, I think that would be my key message is that you may not think that it that agriculture is where you fit in, um, but I think that's where it's very deceiving because it it there's a place for everyone in this industry and it doesn't matter what you bring to the table, but you can provide value and you can get a lot out of this industry and it'll throw opportunities at you left, right and centre if you let it. Um, and that's amazing. You can go to some really amazing places and work with really inspiring people Um and there is, there's so much opportunity there. You just got to, I guess, be open to it. Very sound advice. Mic drop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's very good advice. And I was thinking, I'll write right at the very beginning when you said you mentioned about school and you're like 10 years ago. Uh, and it's like, well, you actually think 10 years sounds like a long time, but then you, and I don't know if you do this. I, I do it quite a bit where you think, holy shit, like five years ago, I wasn't even there I wasn't here and then it's like you look yeah. at what you've crammed into 10 years and it's like well all of a sudden those people who are kind of 38 39 and you see them and they're really young it's like like there's actually a fair bit of time to get there and a whole bunch of different crossroads you can take to when yeah yes get there so so does this mean that we're going to achieve real greatness in another 10 Jeez, I don't know then do you really want to tick everything off before 40? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> We've got time. We've got time. Well, thanks for coming on for a chat. Thanks, all. I, yeah, I'm very lucky and I've, yeah, I'm very appreciative of, of what I've been able to do so far. So excited for what's to come. Well, that's it from us for another week. Thank you very much for taking the time and coming along for a listen. If you enjoyed this episode, you can rate and review it on your favourite podcast platform. I hope you guys got a bit out of today's conversation, whether it was just a little highlight of your week or some key takeaways, how Hanover came imposter syndrome, the ability of not needing to be in a rush to establish your career and actually taking time and then finding kind of where you fit and and what works for you. I think her story is one which has been a lot of fun to follow and 
her love for Northern Australia and the cattle industry will be just so interesting to see where she ends up. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. Stay safe, stay sane.